Well, after that song, I think we can just kind of pray out and go home. Marcus did a little church in here this morning. <laughs> That's a hard. Thanks, Marcus. No, that was incredible. Give it up for Marcus this morning. And his guitar is okay. He spilt all the communion all over. He walks back there. He's like, bro, I spilt it ever. He's okay. It'll be back ready for the next service. Hey, my name is Danny. I'm the Tierra Santa Campus Director. Glad that you guys are here with us this morning. I want to give a big hello to everybody watching us on Facebook, out on the patio, or throughout the week on YouTube, wherever you're at. We're glad that you guys are tuned in this morning. So... This past week, uh, a few of us went out to the desert, and we got to celebrate our tech director back there, Bob in the booth. Let's give it up for Bob. We love Bob. Bob celebrated his 21st birthday for the 25th time this year, which was absolutely incredible. But as, we were get, as I was getting ready to go uh, to the desert on Monday after church on Sunday, I was headed out into my garage to kind of start packing up the stuff to get ready to go the next morning. These guys like to leave at the like earliest crack of dawn. I don't like mornings, but anyways. So I got everything ready, and I was looking for uh, this chair that I was going to bring, and I thought, oh, okay, it's in the garage. And I don't know about you, if you've ever gone out to your garage and you try to find like one thing, four hours later, you realize that you've organized your entire garage, and the one thing you were looking for was not in the garage, and that's what I realized. It was actually in my back room, and I'd spent all that time. Yes, my wife was extremely happy that the garage was organized, but I was like, man, I just wasted four hours of my life, and it was football Sunday, right? <laughs> but one of the funny things that we came across as we were kind of going through this garage is this electronic graveyard that was in our garage and we didn't even realize that we had all this stuff like shoved in a closet I don't know about you but we moved into our house about five and a half years ago and there are some things that yes we shoved in some closets and we haven't looked at for five and a half years hence these little bad boys right here and I was reminded of like how we've advanced so much in the world of technology in the last like probably 10, 15, 20 years. And one of the first things I came across is this little bad boy right here, my little flip phone. It was amazing because it was the first time I could put a phone in my pocket, became a texting ninja. I love this. And I came across like my first touch screen and realized that this was the day that I stopped answering phone calls and just responded on text. And then we had all these uh, laptops. I had my Sony Vio that weighs like 8,000 pounds. And I carried this in my freshman and sophomore year of college. And I don't understand why I don't have shoulders of Arnold Schwarzenegger after that. And then came this bad boy, where my family and I instantly became baptized, hence my iWatch, my iPad, and my iPhone. We got baptized in the family of Apple and sold out our lives, everything, to Apple. But one thing I realized as I looked all at these things right here is I began to realize, like, yes, technology has increased. The availability of knowledge at the palm of our hand has absolutely increased. In fact, there's a surplus of it. But I was brought down to a stark reality when I realized that the wisest person in my home is Siri. Because my kids no longer ask me to answer questions for them. They say, Dad, can you ask Siri to, or can you ask Siri this question? Or they said, Dad, can you Google? And I don't know if you've realized this or not. I think with this surplus of knowledge in our world, it's kind of taken our eyes off of what true wisdom. And in the sense of this, that, that knowledge is really that collection of facts through study and research where wisdom is really the discernment of how we practically use that knowledge. And sometimes when I think of my smartphone, I don't know if it's necessarily making me any smarter. In fact, 
I saw this video this week that I think really sums up this point. Check it out. Dear inventors, software designers, and other assorted geniuses, or is that genii? Anyway, the people responsible for all the amazing advances that make our lives so much easier. Please stop. No, seriously, please stop right now. All this help you're offering is causing me to devolve rapidly. Did you see that movie Benjamin Button where Brad Pitt just kept growing younger? I could walk further and faster. While everybody else was aging, I was getting younger. Well, that's what's happening to me, but just inside my brain, involving hundreds of simple tasks that I used to know how to do. I realized all of this a few weeks ago when my wife asked me, as a sign of love and dedication, if I knew her cell phone number by heart. I looked this beautiful woman straight in the eye, and I guessed, wrong, way wrong. <laughs> but of course I couldn't remember her number, because I've never known it. From our first date, she's been a name in my cell phone. In fact, if you hung me over a pit of live crocodiles, I couldn't remember seven digits in a row anymore. <laughs> I've lost that ability because I don't need it. The machines do it for me. And also, that's the part of my brain that's now used for fantasy football. Without my computer assistance, I often end up porky-pigging it, by which I mean trying to spell a word, realizing I can't, and then eventually just choosing a completely different word. I tried to spell spatula for eight minutes the other day before finally settling on food picker-upper thingy. And if typing something without spell check is hard, writing things out by hand, that is now all but impossible for me. I haven't given my mother a proper birthday card in years because I don't trust myself to successfully handwrite love you bunches. <laughs> I've done the math on this, people. Well, that's actually not true. I have an app on my phone that does stuff like math for me. But anyway, I've looked at that app and it tells me based on the rate of invention and my rate of atrophy when it comes to simple tasks that at the current pace, I'll be reduced to a slobbering infant within six years. So please, innovators, I beg of you, stop now. My, sorry, I hand wrote this last part. My, oh, my very life depends on it. Thank you. Reality check a little bit, right? Absolutely. It's kind of funny. I identify with some of those things. So last, about three weeks ago, we kicked off this series called A Little Bit of Wisdom. And I think in the world that we live in, that is like such a timely statement because there's so much going on. And yes, technology is absolutely incredible that this little iPhone can do more than all of my graveyard junkyard could have years ago together. But it's one of those things that we have to ask ourselves, and we've been chasing after this question for the last three weeks, is this. How do we live a life led by God's wisdom. And I think that's a question as Christ followers we're always kind of trying to answer in our lives because we're engaged in this kind of tension that we spend most of our lives in. Do we choose my wisdom or do I choose God's wisdom? And we've spent the last three weeks now uh, really going after Solomon, who's considered the, the wisest, richest, most successful man in the Bible. And he wrote a book called Proverbs, which is all about wisdom. In fact, it's in a section of the Bible called the Wisdom Literature. And today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to there. And this is a very famous passage that we're going to look at today, all about this idea of the tension that we live in between godly wisdom 
and our worldly or human type of wisdom. And the thing I love about this chapter is it's kind of like a, a, a tradition lineage of passing of wisdom. We see David, King David is Solomon's dad, he's, he's uh, David's son. And King David, we see in Scripture throughout, uh, uh, throughout the, his writings of him passing on knowledge to his sons. And what chapter 3 is with Solomon, Solomon is now doing the same thing he saw his dad do, he received from his dad. In this chapter, what we see is Solomon passing down wisdom, telling his sons all about this godly wisdom. And it's this beautiful kind of description of how what it looks like to no longer rely on our own wisdom, but to begin to really rely on God's wisdom. So, let's do this. Let's pick up chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and it says this. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor with God, and you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Now, these next two verses are super famous. Even if you haven't grown up in church or read this chapter, you've probably heard these before. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Right off the bat, as I read these first eight verses, I can kind of see this idea that we are called not to settle. Not to settle for our own wisdom, our own maybe limited version or anybody else's version of wisdom, but we're to rely and trust in God's wisdom. In fact, look at these verses here. In the beginning, Solomon says this. He says, hey, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart. And then he gives them the, like the whole gist here in verse five, 5 and 6. He says, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. In him being God. What he's saying here is like, hey, listen, boys. You may think you're the smartest person in the room. And I fall guilty of that all the time. I like to think sometimes I'm the smartest person in the room, and then somebody else opens their mouth, and I realize I'm not. <laughs> Anybody else feel that way sometimes? Exactly, right? But what he's telling him here, he's like, hey, you're limited in what you know. Your wisdom is absolutely limited. And if you only trust in that, it's only going to get you that far. The question I ask myself a lot of the times when I find myself thinking I'm the smartest person in the room and I think about past circumstances or current circumstances, I'll ask myself, so where has my wisdom gotten me thus far? And sometimes it's gotten me somewhere good, but then I look at some of the situations and consequences of what I thought was this great wisdom, and it didn't get me very far. The fact is, is that I like me some me sometimes. I really do. And I can co-sign my own nonsense quicker than anybody in this room. And a lot of that time is me co-signing my wisdom that I think I know best. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. When I think I'm the smartest person in the room, when I think I've got it all figured out, I figure out that I don't. Because here's the reality. When it comes to human wisdom, human wisdom has a timestamp. It does. It has a timestamp. Godly wisdom is timeless. Our wisdom has a timestamp. 
And it's like I said, we're always engaged in this battle in every circumstance, every situation, every decision that we make or we're faced to make or we're faced to be a, a, like even just in reality of is this idea, do I choose my wisdom or do I choose godly wisdom? I found this article written by a lady named Jen Wilkin. Jen Wilkin is an author. She's a Bible scholar. And she writes this about this idea, this battle between human wisdom and godly wisdom. She says this, Wisdom is closely related to knowledge, but distinct from it. Knowledge is possessing the facts. Wisdom is the ability to achieve the best ends with the facts. The wisest human you know is still capable of choosing wrongly, simply because they do not possess all the facts. Wise humans have their judgment clouded by personal bias. But God, God is free from that limit. His wisdom is perfect. The paths he chooses are always wise and always good. When we begin to really think about how we can begin to live our life guided by God's wisdom, yes, absolutely, we have to begin to realize that we cannot settle for our own version of wisdom, but we also have to begin to consider that God is better at my life than I am. God is better at my life than I am. No matter how much I think I've got it all figured out, no matter how much I think, man, this is the best life now, I've got it all under control, what I realize when I look at where I've been and some of the things I've done and where God's been and some of the things he's done in my life, I realize that he is so much better at my life than I ever I love this first part of verse 5. It says, trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And as you think about this idea of living your life guided by God's wisdom, and we think, well, I can't settle. I have to trust. I have to begin to understand his. I have to stop thinking that I'm the best. I have to consider that he's better at my life. What we're doing is we're beginning to walk out this idea of trusting God's wisdom. We're beginning to say, okay, I can surrender, I can submit, I can humbly admit that, man, I don't have this figure out, that my wisdom is limited, and yeah, I'm going to take that next step, and I'm going, to, I'm going to begin to trust God. But there's still that considering the situation, because trust is hard. Trust involves not only emotions and, and thoughts, but it involves us submitting to who he is. And sometimes we have to consider that type of submission in every question or situation we may find ourselves in, like this. We have to ask ourselves when we're thinking about this idea of my wisdom versus his wisdom, we have to ask ourselves these questions. In light of my past experiences, everything that's happened, what is the wisest thing to do? My wisdom or God's wisdom? In light of my current circumstances, the situations that I'm currently facing, am I leaning on my own understanding or am I trusting in God's wisdom? In light of my future hopes and dreams, is it guided by me and what I want or is it directed by God's wisdom? And as Christ followers, in light of the kingdom, this decision that I have to make in my relationships in my finances, in my job, what is the wisest thing to do? Trust in my understanding or seek God's wisdom in this situation? And that's a struggle. It's a struggle for every single one of us. Because 
It's a battle that we're engaged in in a constant basis. And the fact is, is that we will not be willing to seek God's wisdom until we trust that God wants the best for me and God knows how to get the best for me. When we consider those questions and we're asking ourselves, my understanding or God's wisdom, we won't be able to even think about taking that next step and begin to trust him until we realize that God knows what's best for me. And that's not that he has some agenda for us. It's know that he knows best for us. Because sometimes we can think that, well, well, that's just God's agenda, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Then we don't necessarily agree with the fact that God knows how to get what's best for us. And this kind of tension that we live in right there started way before we were alive. We were born into it. In fact, this kind of really comes into play in Genesis chapter 3, where sin enters the garden. Adam and Eve are there. God told them, you can eat from every tree except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes in and he says, did he really say that? And they start believing the lie that is if God is holding something back from them. And that's what is the biggest struggle with this question of seeking God's wisdom, of realizing that he wants the best for us, he knows how to get the best for us, is our struggle in the fact that, that maybe God's holding something back. If I fully submit to him, if I fully surrender to his wisdom, to his will, to his way, well, I feel like he's holding something back from me because there's more. I, I want this over there. But again, God knows what's best for me. Well, I want to do this, and I want to go there, and I feel like God's only restricting me. God knows what's best for me. He knows how to get the best for me. And it's the constant battle. And believe it or not, no matter what family, no matter what friends that are against this idea, no matter what they say, no matter what culture say, God still knows best. It's those godly friends, those people that are submitted to true godly wisdom are the ones that will direct us towards what God wants best for us. And he knows how to get it. For me, when I think of this, I think of my own struggles. And when I think of my struggle of this idea of like what God wants best for me and God knows how to get best for me, it's in my career. Because most of my career I could say that I was chasing after contentment, but really what I was doing is I was masking it as my chase after success. I had masked this idea of finding contentment in who I am and what I do based on how successful I can actually be. And I've been through umpteen million jobs. I've been a mattress delivery man. I was in the military for eight years. I was in the Coast Guard. Um, I was a heavy equipment mechanic for the county of San Bernardino. I was, worked for a minor league baseball team for City of Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, I worked in water construction for City of Riverside. I read water meters and electric meters for City of Riverside. I read water meters and electric meters for City of uh, Chino Hills. And then in the church, I've been a recovery pastor. I've been a first impressions pastor. I've been a local missions pastor. I've been, you can kind of get the hint, right? And I keep telling, I keep telling myself that, Man, I just want to do better for my family. And yeah, there's a sense of that in there. But what the problem was is I couldn't find contentment because I was always chasing success. And maybe that rings out to you this morning. Maybe this idea of finding contentment, trusting that God wants what's best for me, God knows how to get the best for me, man, you can identify with that right away. And maybe it's not employment. 
Maybe it's not your career that you were seeking contentment. Maybe it was in somewhere else, but man, you've been chasing after it, chasing after it, chasing after it, and it's time to start realizing that God knows what's best. But that involves trust. We have to fully submit. We have to fully humbly submit and realize that his wisdom is greater than our wisdom. But that involves trust. And trust, trust is just more than feelings or emotions. Trust is an action. Trust takes action. Yes, there are feelings and emotion for us to begin to trust. But us to begin to fully trust takes action, true action. In fact, in verse 3, it says, let your love and faithfulness never leave you. Now, in the context of this verse, the way Solomon wrote this, these words, love and faithfulness in the Hebrew, they are action words. And if anybody's ever been in a relationship or had kids or, or anything, you know that love sometimes takes action, right? Because you have, to un, you have to love the unlovable at times. My wife was here. She'd be like, I can tell you about his unlovable moments right quick. And this idea of faithfulness. Faithfulness, yes, can be an emotion. It can be a feeling. But faithfulness absolutely involves action. We have to truly be faithful. Fidelity, faithfulness, commitment, all of those things take action. They're not just based on feelings and emotion. They take action. It's like this. This chair. When you guys came in this morning... You didn't necessarily examine your chair when you sat down. You just trusted, right? You trusted that the chair is going to do what the chair is going to do. You fully sat down, put all your weight, put everything you had in the fact that this chair was going to support you. Why? Because you've lived your whole entire life mainly sitting in a chair and knowing that the chair is going to support you. Because it's always done that. And it always will do that. The same thing is true with our faith and trust. It's a simple action. It's taking the step. Knowing that God has done what he said he will always do. Trusting in the fact that what he's done he will do again. That we can fully put all of our hope, all of our trust, all of our faith in the fact that he will do what he will always do. And it's as simple as sitting in the chair. I could have sat here, or stood here, sorry, and looked at this chair and all of my feelings and emotions and been like, yeah, you know, that chair could give me comfort and rest and, you know, I could really put my feet up and I really feel good and you could tell people about it. But if you don't sit in it, you don't trust it. The same thing is true with our hope and our faith and our trust in God. If we don't actually take those actions and really begin to trust that His wisdom is greater than our wisdom, we'll never receive anything, anything that come with those promises because we've never taken the actual action. We've just talked about it. And listen, we can stand up here and say that I can stand up here or you can sit there and say that I fully trust in God. And you can sing about it. We just did. I can preach about it. You can talk about it in your small groups. But the proof is in the pudding. Your life will show, your actions will show that you truly trust who God is. And when I think about all that time that I spent chasing after success, I think, man, I wonder if people really see that in my life. 
I wonder if the people that are closest to me, I wonder if the people that see me um, on a regular basis, my family, my friends, coworkers, anybody, would really believe that I fully trust in God. That's a question we have to ask ourselves sometimes. Am I fully trusting in God, and do my actions truly show that? Because if we're fully trusting in God, we're not only realizing that his wisdom is greater, that, that he is greater at my life than I ever am, but what we're letting him do, we're not just considering about asking him about situations, what we're letting him do, we're giving him permission to speak into every area of our life. Not just the convenient ones, not just the ones that we like him to speak into, the areas of our life that we don't like him to speak into. It's like that closet that we shove everything in before family comes sometimes when we're trying to clean up for Thanksgiving. He wants in there too. Like that junk drawer in the kitchen that we just shove everything in. I have that junk drawer. It's got like manuals, screwdrivers. It's got like bullet shells for some reason. I don't know why. It's got all this junk in there. But I don't want anybody to go in there. But God wants in there. And we all have those closets and we all have those junk drawers in our life. And God wants to speak in those areas too. Not just in the easy stuff, but in the hard stuff as well. But we have to be able to trust. It's that action of trust. If we trust him, we're letting him do this. We're letting him have access to every area of our life, not just the easy, convenient, surface-level stuff, because God absolutely wants to speak into every single area of our lives. I love how it says again in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. When you think about this idea, this first part right here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. If you've put all your heart into something, what does it mean? It's got every ounce of you. Your whole heart. It's like you crazy cowboy fans out there. Cowboys are going to play today, and they're going to break your heart usually, right? Actually, they're kind of good this year. But usually, they're going to break your heart. But you've put your whole heart into them. I'm an Auburn football fan, college football fan. They're not breaking my heart yet. But think about it, though. When you place all your heart into something, think of it as a relationship, one of your most intimate relationships. If you're married with your spouse, you're all in. You've put your whole heart into this. You fully trust that person. That's the exact content, like the the exact meaning of this verse right here. You're putting every ounce that you've got into trusting God, and you're stopped leaning on your own understanding. You're not trying to figure it out. You're just trying to trust him with everything you have in all your ways. When you trust him with all your heart, you've put all of you into it. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. That's such a powerful verse when you truly understand like the weight and the, and the gravity of what it means For me, when I think of this idea of trusting the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, it's communion for me today. It's the very fact that we celebrate that God sent his son to die on a cross for us so that 
if we believe, if we say yes, we can have a right relationship with the Father. What does that commitment take to say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose again so that I can have a relationship with the Father? What does that involve? That involves our whole heart. It involves our whole trust because we now know that that sin no longer has power, that we have been redeemed, that we have been reconciled to the Father, but that takes our whole heart. That takes our full trust. That takes commitment. That takes stop leaning on my understanding of salvation because I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. What it does is begin to give us the understanding that it's whole heart. It's everything that we've got. I fully trust in him. I stop trying to figure this out. And in every ounce, in every situation of my life, I'm fully going to trust him. And this last part is like the hope part for me. He will make your path straight. With that kind of, I, I kind of lean into that a little bit. Maybe I'm taking this a little bit too literally. But what that says to me is that in our lives, we're going to have crooked, broken paths. If he's going to make them straight, that means that they're not straight. And I think a lot of us can say that in our lives, we know we have those crooked and broken paths. That, man, we're just praying that he brings them back to him. I think of my life when I was a teenager, when I was, a, when I was in my early 20s, of the mistakes that I made as a, as a sailor sometimes. And anybody who's been a sailor knows exactly what I'm talking about. We have some crooked and broken paths, and we need him to bring us back to him, make them whole, redeem them. And you may not be a sailor, but we were all in our 20s. We were all teenagers at one time. We've all made mistakes. We've all had those crooked paths, those broken paths. But this verse is so... It gives me hope because if we fully trust in him, we fully submit to him in all of our ways, he will make our paths straight. And we can place all of our hope, all of our faith, and all of our trust in that fact right there. So today, as you think about your current circumstances, situations in your life, the things that are going on in your life currently, all the decisions that you're facing, all the consequences maybe you're facing, good and bad, from maybe some decisions that you've made or any relationship or any of that stuff, what steps do you need to take this week to seek God's wisdom? To stop leaning maybe on your own understanding and begin to fully trust and submit to who he is. I think there's three steps that I can give you this morning that can help you take those next steps. The first one is this. If we're fully going to begin to trust him, if we're fully going to begin to walk the path, the straight path of his wisdom, the first thing we have to do is go to the source of that wisdom, which is his word. And the first step that we can take is walk in God's word as the ultimate source of wisdom. It says it here in 2 Timothy 3.16. I love this last part. Why do we do it? Why do we fully trust in it? Why do we need to go to God's word as the ultimate source of wisdom? Because it corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Uh, at the beginning of this series, we launched um, this Bible reading plan. 31 days in Proverbs, and a lot of you guys have responded. It's been cool to hear the stories, and there have been people that are launched their own little groups and have five or six or seven people. The TR Santa one has like 52 people in it currently, and you have a devotional, you have a chapter uh, in Proverbs, and then there's message boards. 
where people can post on the message boards about what that passage or what that chapter said to them. And some of the stuff that's being posted on those message boards are absolutely incredible. People are, people are getting this idea that Proverbs is a book of wisdom that speaks into our life in all situations and all circumstances and everything that we face. Proverbs really speaks truth into it. Timely wisdom, not limited wisdom, but timely, godly wisdom. And to see people respond to that has been absolutely incredible. In fact, at the end of service on the slides that have all our information, if you haven't started that Bible reading plan, please stop and take a picture of that QR code and start, or you can head out to the blue tent afterwards, and they can, uh, the people out there can get you hooked up with the Bible reading plan as well. So not only do we need to walk in, in the wisdom of God's words, we have to begin to seek wisdom and truth from other Christ followers. Yes, we need to be in his word, but we also need to be in community with other believers. I love how it says it in Proverbs eleven fourteen. It says, the more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. That's the truth, right? The more wise counsel you follow, the better your choices. The, the more non-wise counsel you follow, the worse your choices. I can think of some of the crowds that I used to hang around when I was in my 20s and my teens and even some of my 30s and think, man, I don't necessarily know if they were the wisest counsel I hung out with sometimes. And I look where they're at today and compare and we'll go and talk about those things where we're like, man, remember the things we did in our 20s and our teens? And man, I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. I'm so glad that I've decided that that's not the way I want to live my life. I don't want to live those consequences anymore. I want to surround myself with godly people. I want to surround myself with people that are chasing after the same thing that I am, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's why we do life groups here. It's why we're so passionate about this idea that we are better together than we are alone, that we are so much better when we're gathered up in circles throughout the week than we are in rows on Sunday. Because we have people alongside of us that can pray for us, that can be there for us, that can help guide us back to godly wisdom, that can say, hey, you know, that situation that you're facing, I've been through that. I know what it's like to go through that, and let me walk through that with you. Let me help you with that. Let me tell you what God did in my life through that entire season. And I love how Solomon says it in Ecclesiastes 4.12. He says this, he says, by yourself you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. By ourselves, all alone, we're easily taken out. But when we've got godly people, Christ-centered people seeking after godly wisdom, it's a lot harder to take you out. And the last step is really this, is daily depend on the Holy Spirit as my ultimate guide. We walk in his word, we surround ourselves with godly wise people, and the ultimate guide is our Holy Spirit. He walks with us. He will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything I have said to you, everything God has said, everything Jesus has said to you. The Holy Spirit will be that conscience that comes alive as your ultimate guide. No longer guided by my own wisdom, but now not only am I seeking after godly wisdom, but now the Holy Spirit is my ultimate guide. And when I think about that, I can't help but think about asking myself, am I actually, 
am I really, am I really leaning on my own understanding or am I fully trusting in God in all my ways? Because if the Holy Spirit's going to be my guide, that's truth. That rings truth in my life. I'm no longer leaning on my own understanding because my own understanding and my own wisdom will take me down those crooked, broken paths that God will make straight once I submit to him. But in order to fully understand this idea of depending on the Holy Spirit, it means that I am no longer leaning on my own understanding, that I am fully trusting in God and in his wisdom. And maybe that's the question that you need to leave out of here with this morning and you need to think about throughout the week. As you leave out of here, you're going to face those situations and circumstances and decisions and all those things that are waiting for us outside the door. Sometimes it's easy to check those as we walk in and we get in worship and we, we have that experience with God and then we hear the message and we're convicted and when we walk out those doors, all those things that maybe we checked at the door are waiting for us to pick them up and take them home with us. We have to ask ourselves this question. Which areas of my life am I currently living by my own wisdom and ignoring God's wisdom? And will I finally commit to submit to his ways instead? And I can't help but think of the three big areas of our life. Financially, relationally, and vocationally. Financially, when I think of this idea of my own wisdom... Are my finances a direct result of my decisions or are my finances a direct result because of me consulting him and his wisdom? Am I finding myself with way too much month left at the end of my money? I've been there before. Absolutely. That's a Dave Ramsey deal. I stole that from him. I'm not that creative. <laughs> this idea of generosity that we talk about on a regular basis, you're like, man, that's a far distant reality from me. And again, when it comes to your finances, is it your wisdom and you're ignoring his or is it his wisdom? When it comes relationally, this is a tough one because maybe, maybe you're living together and is that the wisest decision currently? Because, well, it's, you know, a financial deal. Well, are you seeking him for his finances? Well, you know, it's just a temporary situation. Some of the things that happens with us in these things, when we think of relationally, financially, and vocationally, there's this stick that we push in the middle, and it starts moving and separating things, and that stick is called compromise. And compromise can continue to stretch us and stretch out our boundaries and stretch out all kinds of different things. And we see it in our finances, compromise. Well, I don't know, and I'll just do this, and it becomes widely, and that gap between my wisdom and God's wisdom keeps giving bitter. In, a, in our relationship, it keeps, that compromise stick keeps stretching things between our wisdom and God's wisdom. Maybe it's this, maybe it's like, well, it was only a text, or, or it was only a few emails, and maybe a phone call. It's not that big of a deal, and you know, it was only one lunch, and you know what? There was nobody else at work, and we had to go to this deal, and we just drove together. And compromise stretched it, compromise stretched it, compromise stretched it, and next thing you know, I can't believe I did what I did. Because compromise stepped in. I trusted my wisdom. Well, it wasn't that bad. Well, now it is that bad. And if you find yourself in that situation, where you've compromised your relationship, your values, your morals, your integrity because of your wisdom and maybe a relationship that you know is wrong, stop. 
Get some help. Seek God's wisdom in this because a compromise will only continue to destroy you. And the last one is vocationally. Are you compromising your morals to make a decision that only has a financial benefit for you? That's not smart. Are you seeking God's wisdom in everything you do with your job? God, I don't think they respect me around here. God, I don't think they value me enough around here. And I, God, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them exactly what I, oh, I'm going to show them. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to show them. Are you seeking your wisdom or God's wisdom when it comes to that? And realizing that, you know what? It's not necessarily that they don't see what I'm doing. Maybe I'm not working or I'm not actually doing it. I'm just seeking after this sense of entitlement, not contentment. Because when I think of this idea of contentment when it comes to our jobs and comes to our finances and comes to our relationships, because really when it's about this idea of, of stopping leaning into my wisdom and trusting him, that's kind of one of the basic ideas of it is we're content in him. If we're fully going to trust him, we're fully going to be content in him. Am I content in all things? Because if I am, I'm seeking his wisdom. If I'm not, I'm seeking my own. And masking this idea, well, I'm, 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 and I call it like this, where are you lying and where are you denying? Where are you lying to yourself and what are you denying? You're saying, I asked God, but are you trusting God? But I asked him, I asked him about this, and I said, God, where are you? What are you doing? God, I don't see you. I've tried this trust thing before, and you didn't show up, and I find myself in the same situation. But are you actually trusting? Well, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just waiting. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to wait. Well, how long are you going to wait? And when are you going to start to trust? Because we could say all these things. But it's until the moment we take that step of action and begin to trust that maybe we'll see him show up. Maybe we'll see him answer. And maybe it's not the way we want it to be, but he'll show up and he'll answer. Are you going to sit in the chair or are you going to stand and examine it and maybe one day take that next step and hope that it will hold us? Or are you going to trust in God and lean not on your own understanding? And in all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. Let's pray. If you're out there, and this is where you find yourself this morning, is that you're standing, looking at the chair, not trusting. And you need that courage today. You're facing a circumstance, a situation, a decision, whatever it is that you've been leaning on your own understanding. You need the courage to take that next step of action to trust him. Would you raise your hand this morning? I just want to pray for you. I see you. I see you. Absolutely. Father God, I pray for all of us. The God, that you would give us the courage that we need to stop leaning on our own understanding and begin to fully trust you. Trust in the fact that you know what's best. God, that you are so much better at our lives than we can ever be. God, that we 
we have to stop settling for this limited vision of wisdom, God, and we need to fully seek you and, and understand that your wisdom is so much greater than my understanding. God, we know in all of our circumstances, in all of our situations, you're present, you're there, you're right there with us, but sometimes we can get so masked with just disbelief or lack of trust or just not having what it takes to really believe because, God, maybe there's something in the past that's triggered us to not believe you or not trust you. But, God, I ask that you clear away all those barriers. You heal those past wounds so that, God, in all situations, all circumstances, God, we can take that step of action that we can fully put our faith, our hope, and our trust in you because we know, God, we know that we can trust you. We know that your wisdom is greater than ours. And God, we can fully trust in you. And we don't have to lean on our own understanding anymore. And God, in every way of our life, God, give us the ability to submit to you. And God, trust in the fact that you will make our paths straight. So Father, we love you and we praise you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.